Hold on a sec. Here we go. Welcome. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. Another episode, another day. Soccer go- soccer mom's gone wild. Today, my Woo! special guest is Ariane, like Marianne, but it's Ariane Clark. And um, it's so good to have you on, on here today. Welcome to the corner. Thank you, Pej. It is a pleasure to be here. <laughs> um, so Ariane, usually we, we give the whole breakdown of, of your past, you know, sort of like what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. But uh, first and foremost, where are you from? Where were you born? I was actually born in Ridgecrest, California, in the desert. And then um, parents moved us up to, my dad logged, was a logger. So they moved up to Georgetown, California, mm-hmm. small little mountain town in Northern California. Okay. And that's where I was raised. So, am I echoing? Mm-hmm. I am echoing. You're, I hear you fine. Okay, good. So you say in the desert, right? That's where you were at originally. Then you ended up, you, where are you now? You're in Sacramento? Sacramento. Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And growing up, uh, in where, did, where were you going to high school? Where were you going to junior high school? Oh, gosh. Little small mountain towns. Um, I don't even remember what the junior high school is called. Uh, Golden Sierra was the, the high school. Um, but there was like 80 kids in my graduating high school class. That's how small of a town. So it was one of those towns where everybody was. Yes. Absolutely. No stoplights. You know, driving to the store at 13 with the note from my mom, from my from my mom to go buy her cigarettes at the local uh, store, that kind of town. <laughs> All right. Did you have siblings? I had two older sisters, the youngest of three. Were they role models? Hold on a second. Our sound is so messed up right now. I don't understand. Hmm. So your sisters were they were they role models for you? Mm, not so much, not were so you, much. What about your parents? Were they role uh, models? Well, no. I mean, they were uh, pretty much professional pot growers up in Northern California. Um, pot growers. Really, yeah. This was during a time when it was still illegal. Highly illegal. Yes. Um, so it was raised in a very. Uh, always look out, always watch your back, always uh, paranoid, never, um, couldn't have friends over. It was very secluded, very, um, we kept to ourselves and um, everybody knew we were the the local hookup on that hill. So the local hookup, like there was what's going on with this thing? You gotta leave, there we go. Okay, so everybody knew that they could, uh, get the weed from you yes from your family not from you well me eventually <laughs> were you were you smoking weed too oh at um the age of um i can remember from the tiniest kid tiniest tiniest memory um like they'd be passing the joint around i'd be like trying to get contact high and being as close as i could and um you know smoking the bong and being left over and and going and sucking it out at the age of seven you know always trying to Trying to do what they did, mm-hmm. for sure. When was the first time you got high? Um, the first time I really remember getting high was the age of fourteen with my mom. When I was, I had got my tonsils out, and I was in a lot of pain. She was like, "Here, this will fix it," you know. And 
started smoking with me. First time I got drunk, I was seven. I was seven the first time I got drunk. First memory I have of a mind altering substance was huffing gas when I was five. Okay, we want to take it all the way back. <laughs> that was actually the first drug I ever did. I like the effects produced. I think, I think our sound problem you're in. Want me to move to a different spot? Lower the volume on your end. Okay. Just a little. Okay. okay. So, is that better? can I ask you something? How, how was it that you were huffing gas at the age of five? What even brought that on? Why did that happen? I, just, I liked the smell of it, and there was a gas can sitting there, and I smelt it, and then I just kept smelling it, and then I'd start seeing little woo, and I just liked it, and I kept going back and do it until I got caught. Right. First time I did it, I was twelve years old. I was mowing mowing people's lawns. And um, I would go in this back, the back shed and I would just huff gas. I don't even know how I caught wind of it, but I started doing it and it got me high until I accidentally spilled the gas on my genitalia. So, uh, and, but that was actually the first time that, that I got high. Um, as far as other stuff, like, as far as other stuff, like uh, weed. So you did that when you were, how old did you say? I my first experiences with it about seven or eight. Seven or eight, and yeah, and that was first time I really got high was I was fourteen. All right. Other kids around you were doing it during that time. I mean, you did it because of the tonsils at first, but then people just knew like you guys were the weed hook. Yeah. Weed yeah, I was always told it was medicine. There's never a problem, you know. Because it's your parents were okay with it because they were selling it, so it was okay. It was just something, something we did. I didn't really know any different. All right. And then uh, scholastically, how were you in school academically? I really did. I always did very well in school. I was an overachiever. Were you getting attention, high? Attention was my first uh, addiction, really. Were you getting high when you were in school? Sure. Yeah. And you were able to achieve and do well? Mm -hmm. Even getting high? Even getting high. Okay. You were one of those. I was one of those. The ability, right? Intellectual. Uh, so um, in high school, how was it? Did you, did you like it? Did you graduate? Yeah, I graduated. I graduated with um, good grades. I never got anything less than C's. And I was getting stoned every day at school. Um, I was just able to still um, get done what I needed to do. And do you, are you still having sound problems? No, we're good. Okay, good. Um, so, but high school, I always had it like in the back of my mind, like I needed to do good in school because I needed to get off that hill. I didn't want to be stuck up there growing pot. And, and you know, honestly, um, our house got busted when I was a junior in high school. And um, that really scared the shit out of me because- who were you raided by the police? Or was yeah, we were raided by the police because they were they were looking for a um, they were actually looking for a meth lab that that supposedly one of my family members had had and um, they didn't find the meth lab. But I'll I'll never forget that day. Like it was like uh, standing out uh, getting my laundry done and my mom comes up behind me and says, "Get downstairs and, and lock the door." And I look out the corner of my eye and there's like, you know, uh, they're all in camouflage, but there's like 15 of them rushing us and. Um, that day really was like, I knew I didn't want to live that life. Okay, I was so, going to make something of myself. So you said that your cousin supposedly had a, a meth lab. 
supposedly. Supposedly, yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. We won't go any deeper into that. But I'll, I, I do know that um, I've actually, in my own experience, I've been in six different police raids, and two of them were in my own homes. And one of them was at a friend's house when I was at the friend's, well, so-called friend. But when I was at that individual's house, I remember that the way they came in through the downstairs, we were all upstairs in some place in Huntington Beach. And I just heard a lot of commotion. And I thought, we're, there's a home invasion going on. Like people are about to jack us. They're about to come in here. And nope, wasn't that. As a matter of fact, it was the cops. And they were coming up the stairs and they meant business. So, so there's that. And they don't come for no reason. Oh, they don't yeah. come for no reason. They don't come for no not, reason. Not for and they've been watching your ass for a minute. Yeah, not for supposed reasons, right? No. They, they no. know what they're doing. Or they have well, well, because really, you know, when I was seven or eight years old, um, I got home from school one day and I remember like my whole house was like gutted. Everyone was gone. And um, my mom had left Montana. And that's what they were running from because that that's when it all started like they get it started getting found out. So we took off to Montana for four months trying to, um, and I thought it was just like a extended camping trip. You know, I didn't see nothing. I had no idea. I was clueless at that point, you know, uh, but looking back on it, that's, um, and that's where a lot of my, um, abandonment issues, my BPD comes in too. So we can touch on that when we get there. As a matter of fact, somebody actually wrote over here, might be a friend of yours. I also have BPD and I have a long history of addiction. Okay, so one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on here today is obviously you and I, uh, we, we've we never met in person, but we've run around some of the similar recovery circles. That's how we yes. kind of met. We met during the pandemic and um, online and we kind of, we'd we be vibing, right? Like we, we're, yeah. I think we're cut from the same cloth. Definitely. We're charging, like, we're charging. Like they say in recovery, we are people who would not usually mix, but I think I would have mixed with you. Like mm -hmm. I probably would have mixed things with you, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I do know about you a little bit. I, there's uh, one time you mentioned that you were diagnosed with BPD, but I want to talk about that in a sec, but I want to know like in your high school years, like you graduated right, with mm -hmm. honors. Is that what you, okay. And then, it wasn't necessarily honors, but I always got good grades, so, but you know, you did well. Did you graduated on, yes. on time. Did you yes. graduate on time? From yes. a regular high school or from a continuation school? Regular high school. Regular high school. And then um, you went on to, were you in relationships in high school? Yes, all the time. Were they usually unhealthy relationships? Oh, yeah. Every relationship I've been in has been unhealthy. Because <laughs> it's all about what I wanted, what I needed, how I was going to get what I wanted from whoever I was I was with. So. Okay. And then you did you have kids at a very young age? Um, no. Well, I was 21 when I had my first son. Okay. Um, so I, after high school, uh, moved down to Sacramento and went to college, put myself through college and worked. Okay. So, and then during that time, was there drug use? I'd always smoked weed, always smoked weed. And, um, during that time, um, the, um, uh, drinking really, you know, I'd be going to the bars, blackout drunk every weekend partying. Okay. Um, so, and I always did acid, always did mushrooms, always, always did it, but I always was able to moderate it, you know, and still go to work. Still. I mean, this, was, this is Northern California. You know, that's what people just do. They like to party. Right. They like to drink. They like to do uh, hallucinogens. They like to do stimulants. Um, did you, 
okay, so you had your first kid. Were you married? Um, I got married shortly after my, my first son was born. Okay. And then, then what? Like, tell me about your twenties, your, your, your young adulthood. Well, I thought, you know, cause I had been partying heavy right before my son was born and I thought that was going to fix me. I thought having a family and getting married and having kids was going to, um, calm me down. Um, and it did for about two years. And then, uh, one night went out to a bar with a girlfriend and ended up cheating on my, um, husband at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we ended up working it out and because I found Jesus and, um, quit everything. And then I had three more sons and stayed clean. Um, I was clean for, you know, until my youngest son turned, uh, well, till he was born. So, and my youngest son's 11. So there was a, a good chunk of time that, um, I was a Christian, but I was always, I, I look back now and I was always like, whatever I did, I had to do it to the extreme. Like, I used to race motocross and I had to do it to the extreme. I had to do something that was like life threatening or on the edge or um, like um, I was never satisfied with just what I had. I was always restless, irritable and discontent. So, so you found you, did you and you were Christian for a period of time? Did you stop being Christian? Did you lose Jesus again? I lost him. <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny when people say, like, I found Jesus. I'm like, was was Jesus lost? <laughs> well, no, he wasn't lost. The thing was, is, you know, I always had this sense of, of there had to be more to life than what I was living, this sense of uh, just unease and uh, never feeling whole within myself. You know, always trying to fill, fill whatever was in me with something, whether it was um, drugs or kids or, or God or, you know, whatever it was. Um, and, and I saw my life kind of unraveling after I cheated on my husband for the first time and um, knew that I needed to find something spiritual. There was just something in me that, and I just kind of started seeking. And, and um, that's when I accepted Christ in my heart and was wanted to be a good Christian and do the right thing and, and um, be a good mom. And, um, you know, it, it worked for a while. Were you know? I was sober. Okay. Yeah. Completely. Completely sober. I'm at, I'm at your end, the volume, something's up with your computer. Is that better? So turn it down. Okay, yes, you're good. Okay. Now, did you ever experience any kind of domestic violence? Not until after I started using drugs again. And you started using drugs, what, in your mid-20s? No, I was, um, let's see, about 33 when I started using drugs again. How long had you stayed sober? About 10 years. And did you stay sober just like through the church? Was it, there was no... 12 step world or anything like that? No, I didn't. No, I didn't do any 12 steps at that point. Um, it was through the church and having so many kids. I had four, I had four little boys that, you know, that's all I did. At that point in your early thirties, you had four boys already. Well, I had three, the, the three of my, um, three of my sons. And, um, it was after the birth of my fourth son is when I started using again. Okay. And what did you start using? Norcos. They sent me home with a 
prescription of Narcos after that fourth son. And, um, why, why was it for pain? Yeah. After you have a baby, you know, that's typical. They'll do that. And they give you a 30 day supply, you know, and it's like your your addictive behavior started to the the beast was unleashed. Like, yes, yes. That was the beginning. And it um, started, you know, I would just take one a day and be like, oh, this feels good. You know, I can deal with these kids that are driving me crazy. Because at that point I had four kids, you know, two of them were still in diapers. I owned a business. I had my own accounting business. I was a full-time mom, full-time wife, you know, and I had this, I had this image to uphold, this perfection. Like I had it all together and um, I was dying inside. Really, I was miserable, but um that one pill every day was kind of like, oh, this made me feel good, you know? And um, then the one pill turned into me getting more refills and then me making up stuff to go get more refills. And then once the refills ran out, um, then I started uh, buying them. And then when the money would run out, I'd start stealing money to buy them. I mean, I would even go to people's houses that I knew just had surgery to bring them a dinner, you know, so I could con them out of their pills or steal their pills. One of the two. So you were up Did you ever get into other stuff like heroin, other kind of opiates? It took about five years. No, no heroin. It took about five years for me to to get to switch my addiction to meth. Okay, so that's kind of a, a dramatic switch because you went from downers, from opiates, from a depressant to a complete stimulant, like the ultimate stimulant. But, uh, you know, in my thinking, I was like, the next step is heroin. If I don't get off these pills, I'm going to end up an heroin addict. So I need to, and and I weaned myself off the pills and started smoking meth to curb the, the, um, the feelings. And then I was on and cracking. Yeah. I was going to ask you your transition from when you, when you kind of just answered it, you said you weaned yourself off the pills. Did you go, did you like detox in your own house? Did you just taper down and, and just bear the pain of the withdrawals or what did you do? I tapered down and just dealt with it. Okay. Muscled through it and Would smoked you- meth to, to, you know, curb that. Okay. So meth started, your meth career started in your mid to late thirties. Yeah. I was like 37, 38. Okay. And then you, it was just smoking it. That's what you were doing. Yeah. Smoking it, snorting it. I never shot it okay. because that was too junky for me. I thought that, you know, then I'd be a real junkie. <laughs> if you're shooting it, then you're a junkie, but I'm not crazy. a junkie. <laughs> crazy. I was crazy. I know addict thinking all too well. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you were now living that type of lifestyle and I know that lifestyle all too well. Now I want to know something in, in this whole journey. Along the way, where were you diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and by who? Was it a psychiatrist? Yes, in residential treatment. When was that? Um, After you got sober? Yeah, well, I was 40, 41 when I went to my first residential treatment after the birth of my daughter. And um, This will be your fifth kid. That'll be my fifth kid, yeah. Do your kids all have different fathers or do some of them have the same fathers? All four of my sons all have the same dad. I was okay. married to him for 15 years. And for the last five, he had no, I was insanely addicted to Norco and he had no idea. I hid it from everybody. You Not one that, person. That well, he, didn't know. Okay. he had no idea. And then he, um, 
And then you had your daughter and you went to treatment. So somebody watched your daughter while you were in there? I lost her to CPS. C CPS came and got her. Okay. And how did CPS catch wind of you being an unfit mother? Well, um, because I was using meth the whole time. I was pregnant with her and I just couldn't stop. And um, I had attempted to get into treatment a couple of times and unsuccessfully, I just didn't go. And um, I, I sobered up about eight days before she was gonna be delivered and thinking that CPS would stay out of my life. And they, I had dirty tests all the way up until I gave birth to her. You know, so even though she wasn't born post-tox and I wasn't um, positive when I gave birth to her, they still came and got her. So they were waiting because they so they were they were waiting because they knew along the way that you are not clean, and so you just need to give birth to this kid so they can come and grab her from you. Yeah, grab her from yeah. Okay. Um, wow. How long did they keep her? Or did they put her in an orphanage or did somebody raise her from infancy? No, as soon as, um, as soon as I knew I was going to lose her, um, before actually I delivered her, I reached out to get help and to get um, into a treatment center because um, the thought of not having her is you know, and I tried, I was so, I was just desperate. I was hopeless. I didn't know what to do at that point, you know? So I reached out and got on a list for residential treatment that um, allowed moms and babies and um, coordinated to where she was only in foster care for about three weeks until I could get her back because they, I needed to have that two week blackout at residential. And then they were able to place her with me at residential. She was, so she spent her first Christmas with somebody else because she was born on 12, 13, 19. And, okay. uh, so, so while you were pregnant and you were using, did you feel a sense of guilt? And then, every day. And then when you had her and they took her away, did you, did it take not very long for you to make this decision that fuck this shit. Like I want to be there for my kid. I'm going to get well, I'm going to get sober. I'm going to do this the right way. I don't want to be on this. Shit. Is that what happened? Well, and I had, uh, you know, it had been, I had four other kids that I didn't have custody of and wasn't visiting. So that was always on in the back of my mind. You know, I knew I needed help. I just didn't know. I didn't know what to do. And, um, and like I said, I cleaned up eight days before she was delivered, before I went and had her in the hospital. And I knew then that I couldn't keep doing this. I had to find help. I had to get help because I was homeless, living in my car, you know, eight months, nine months pregnant, about to give birth to this baby, didn't have no place to go. Um, I didn't know what to do, you know, and I knew that um, residential treatment was the only only place that that I could get the help that I needed. Okay. How long were you? 60 days. Do you hear the echo on your end? Mm -mm. Okay. I wonder if they hear it. Huh? Do you see comments? Can they hear it? Um, some people actually texted and said that they could hear it. It, it doesn't matter. I, this is so such good material to talk about um, because I love hearing about your experience and, and what ended up happening. So you were in treatment for, say again, for how long? 60 days. 60 days. Okay. 
And then after that, you were able to be reunited with your kid and go to a place that accommodates women and children. No, I was in, um, I was only without her for, for three weeks. So they placed her with me in residential treatment after my, the blackout period at residential. So she was with me. She's been with me since she was three weeks old. I've had her. Awesome. Awesome. And she's how old now? She's 21 months. Awesome. And you stayed sober from there on. Yep. And you took this thing by the horns. Yep. Okay. Um, when you say you still have problems with relationships, you say, I think you told me yesterday, you haven't been in a relationship since you got sober, right? No. Why? Because I didn't even know how to be in a relationship with myself. So, um, I really had to, and I'm still working on, on learning who I am. And, and I realized um, through those, through the steps that um, every relationship, you know, cause we do a sex inventory, every relationship I've ever had, it's all about manipulating, controlling. Um, I was fully selfish and self-centered in every relationship I'd ever been in. So for me to get involved with somebody in recovery, it, I would have been causing them more harm because um, I knew that I wasn't healthy enough to be in a relationship with somebody. Yeah, yeah. When, when you first had somebody diagnose you as uh, borderline, did you believe them? Yeah. Right away? Right away. Because they explained to you what borderline consists of? Yes. And it, 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 it consists of a lot of things. I mean, it's not like all borderlines are just, there's just one hardline way of being borderline. There's many different components to it. It's, on- and it's very difficult to diagnose because um, there's different types of borderline personality disorder. And, and it oftentimes people will mistake depression or anxiety for borderline personality disorder. So, and I always was very anxious, had panic attacks and, and, um, and, but when I got to treatment, it was like my severe reaction to very normal everyday disappointments or situations is one of the indicators. And then another indicator was my um, fear of abandonment. You know, I, I have such a fear of being left that I push people away because I'm afraid of of them leaving me. But then I do the exact opposite and end up pushing them away because I'm so freaked out about being abandoned. Um, and then impulse control, you know, very impulsive, very, uh, you know, I had gambling problems. I mean, it throughout my life, I can see the impulse control issue always. Um kind of living on the edge, wanting to do things that were near death, you know, um, living just a crazy lifestyle. And, um, and oftentimes in recovery, you get those dual diagnoses, you know, addiction often comes with another, um, you know, mental health diagnosis as well. So it wasn't surprising to me at all. It was actually relieving because then I kind of had a, um, a focus on what I can do to get better and to get help. Yeah, I uh, I have worked in the treatment setting a lot. A lot of oh God, it's not working like that. Uh, I've seen a lot of people in the treatment that were diagnosed with borderline and. Just keep going. 
I wanted to ask you, do people that you've experienced you know, that have had BPD, borderline personality disorder, become addicts too? I don't really know a lot of people with BPD, honestly. Want me to move into a different room? Sure. See if that helps. I don't know if it's going to make a difference, but keep talking. Don't worry about moving. It's not yeah. a yeah. It's okay. Okay. Um, I don't think I've ever really met too many people with BPD, and I think maybe that's because it's so hard for people to get a diagnosis for it because um, there's so many variables to it, and oftentimes people who are um, you know, it's not, uh, what's the other, not, not borderline personality, uh, bipolar, you know, um, it's not a mood disorder, what I suffer from. It's not just a, a high and a low, you know, I could be experience sadness and um, excitement all within a 10 minute time frame. Mm -hmm. and, um, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> and do you still... <laughs> Yes, I do. Do you take medication? No. Was it recommended to take re medication? Um, it was, but I don't. I don't need the medication as long as I'm working the twelve steps of recovery. So, do you think the twelve steps are coupled with addiction? Absolutely. Awesome. There's the hope. That's a lot of hope. Um, I have met, I've met a lot of people that have been in recovery that have uh, been diagnosed with borderline and, and actually it's been a really hard thing for them to work through. Some have been diagnosed, some of them haven't been diagnosed, but I often have thought to myself, maybe it's that, you know, maybe it could be that. Where do you think it originates from? Not having a sense of self. You know, like that hole I was talking about earlier, always trying to fill up that hole within me. Not, you know, it's an identity thing. You're not really sure who. And I remember, too, I was thinking about this earlier. I have memories when I was like nine years old looking in the mirror and asking myself, who are you? Who are you? Like, not, well, what nine-year-old does that? Like, who are you? Like, because I really didn't know then either, you know. So that's been part of the challenging journey is getting to know who I am. And in um, my sense of self, and I think that um, that's been a challenge in in the process. Do you still uh, do you get lonely? Do you yeah, I do. Do you still have impulsive behaviors? No. You've become aware of them. Aware of them. Impulsively. Well, and when, like, okay, because sex was always an issue, or um, sexting was an issue, you know, because then it, it fills that little piece of me. And, and there's been times where I would start that with somebody in recovery, and then I'd be, oh my gosh, nope, I'm causing you harm. I'm causing myself harm. That's got to stop. You know, I can't. And then I have an amends to make if, if, I, if I go on further. But I see the harm that I cause other people by my behavior and by my action. So that's the awareness that is different from, from before. Before I was just a freaking train wreck. You know, I just didn't care who I would, who I'd hurt in the process of getting what I wanted, you know, but now I have a, um, a sense of, of 
what I do to other people. How did you get turned on? After, um, when I was graduating rehab, I knew that I was going to need support after that. And H and I came into the rehab and, um, that's how I found my first sponsor was through H and I through Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, I am very active in H and I now today because of that, because, um, Recovery is great for when you're there and you're learning and, you know, I was homeless. I didn't have any other place to go, but um, recovery needs to continue after you graduate those treatment centers and um, the 12 steps is where it's at. I mean, I've, I've never experienced anything else like the 12 steps, like, you know, so changed my life. You're not homeless you're anymore. Not homeless anymore. Your kids have their mother. You're comfortable in your skin, it seems. Getting there. You know, the best thing about you, Aria, is that you help a lot of people, and I know that about you. You know, you've, you you do practice the three, three sides of the triangle, and that, that matters a lot. Um, it's it's just you're a beautiful soul, and I, I just happened to be in a room one time online where I heard you say the words borderline personality disorder. And I was like, oh, I know that. I know about that. I know about that because I've been in relationships where that consisted of. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably did not end well for you. Actually, it did not. We, I could tell you stories off the air. <laughs> um, but I, it was a learning experience, you know, definitely. And But I do have a deep sense of compassion for those who, I mean, Listen, let's be real. I had a therapist on, on one of my podcasts and, you know, borderline is, is, is something that hasn't been labeled as borderline for a long period of time. You know, sort of like bipolar and those, those things, they originated over the last decade or two decades or maybe even three decades to where people actually labeled certain disorders that people have as, as those, right? And I often have wondered, so, I mean, I think every kid looks in the mirror at themselves and wonders who they are. So is everybody borderline? Does, do people have borderline tendencies? Are, are some of us narcissists? Are we clinically diagnosed as narcissists or do we have narcissistic traits where we think we know better? And where does that originate from? Often, like if we're raised in a family where like dad thinks he knows it all, well, then we might actually uh, kind of take some of that on and become that type of person. So definitely I, I love when someone can come to terms with the disorder, if like somebody, if, and I asked you, like, did when the doctor told you that, like, did you take it on right away? Because there are a lot, there's a lot of people that are resistant. They don't want to believe it. They want to think it can't be me. It's not me. That's not true. That's I'm not going to accept this. I don't want, I don't need to work through this shit because this is just who I am. And, and I got my own issues and don't, don't label me. Right. So, and sometimes like it, it, this is about us all having human experiences. So to see a person like you, who grew up in an environment like you did where there was always something around you where, where that it seemed okay to smoke weed and things like that. And then go into addiction, then get out of addiction and go towards lean towards the church and then get out of that and then go back into addiction because of uh, some legitimate pain that you had developed this dependency upon opiates and then go into other addictions like gnarly fucking addictions. Not to, not to, discount or like say that Norcos aren't gnarly. Norcos are gnarly, especially if you're seeking them and going and stealing from people to be able to get their bills, right? But then going into uh, 
full-blown meth addiction and to get out of that and to lose your kid like it's it's the little signs that that happen to us in life where there it's a series of events that, that will happen i believe to an addict or an alcoholic or, or someone with mental health to where they realize holy shit like my life is not fucking working and i need mm-hmm. to fuck well and you did you did and look who you are now and it and i'm really happy that they didn't take your kid for that long you said three weeks with and, and you know what those are probably three weeks that you needed to be able to fucking really work yeah. your shit on yourself and be able to be deserving of of having your your kid back in your life uh and be a fit mother or learn to become a fit mother and that's that's what you did and i think that's wonderful but I was also on their ass every day. I'd be calling CPS. I'd be calling CPS, the foster care, the rehab. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? I'm willing to do anything. I'll go to any lengths to get that baby back. Like, Why did that I, not surprise me with you? <laughs> <laughs> I was persistent, persistent, because that was it for me, Paige. I couldn't. That was that was it. I knew, I knew that that was the. Well, you're a fucking miracle. I'll tell you this right now. For one, it's because you're sober, and for two, it's because you're working through your stuff continually. It's an ongoing process, and I think it's beautiful. I think it's wonderful. You know, well, I, thank you. I I adore you. I think uh, I think you. There's a lot of people that can get a lot out of this watching this today with all of the sound issues that we had, the technical difficulties. Um, but I do. I I just know that you're a powerhouse. You're amazing, and you you're going to be able to continue to keep helping a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And keep Thank doing you. what you're doing. Is there anything you want to say as we close it out to, to give some hope to people? Um, I would say if you're struggling with the label of a, um, um, you know, a, a diagnosis like that, don't look at it as like a label. Look at it as a, a, a chance to get the treatment that you need, because that's what um, having the knowledge of understanding what what it is that I suffer from now I can I can have the tools that I need to get to the solution so um, that's what I would say you know you're either struggling with with BPD or or addiction or both um, just reach out and you don't have to do it alone that's what we're here for you know awesome you're amazing there is uh, one person that said she'll listen to the whole thing missed some of it because of work, but she'd love to connect with you all. I, I know her personally. We'll make sure that you guys get connected. For and, sure, uh, yep. If anybody else has any questions or anything, by all means, please uh, go ahead and, and leave messages down in the message bar, and we will uh, try to answer them to the best of our ability. Thank you, Ariane. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank Sending you, Have a good rest of your day. Okay, you too. Bye. <laughs>